Want to learn how to see and share Jesus from all the scripture? Learn with us at the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. Welcome to week two of our look back at the beginning of the Christ Centered and Clear podcast. We hope that you enjoyed last week as we flash back to our first ever episode. Today, we will continue that look back with our second episode recorded in 2020. Next week, we will return to our Hebrews series with the beginning of Hebrews chapter 4. Now let's listen as Nate and John explain why Christ-centered interpretation is such an important topic. Welcome to episode two of the Christ-Centered and Clear podcast. I'm Nate Aiken and have with me my twin brother, John. And in this episode, we're going to talk about the why, why this is an important topic for Christians. Uh, Just to set this up, we want to thank through answering the questions, why should we employ this hermeneutic? But also, we don't want just, just to be for pastors, why should people read the Bible in this way? And so, John, let me just start there. Why is this important? Why does it even matter that we would employ this hermeneutic? Yeah, so let's first talk about the, the reason is, the first reason would be that other approaches, other approaches don't work. And so probably you, um, whether you're a pastor or just, you know, just a church member, a Christian, follower of Jesus, you were raised, if you were raised in church with an approach to the Old Testament that was mainly kind of an Aesop's fables approach, a moralistic approach. So it was kind of a Let's identify the good good guys and let's be like them. Let's let's identify the bad guys and not be like them. And and so that was kind of a you know be be all the ones I heard growing up. Be brave like David. Pray like Daniel. And I saw one that said be nice to your mother in law like Ruth. And um, as a newly married guy, great advice. Yes, absolutely good advice. You should take it. That's not what Ruth is about. Uh, and so that was kind of the approach that people would give to the scriptures. And that approach fails for for multiple reasons. One, the Old Testament doesn't even let you approach it in that way. Okay, so like God calls Abram as the man of promise, you know, go to this land, I'm going to show you, I'm going to bless all the families of the earth through you. And the immediate thing that happens right after that is there's a famine in Canaan, in the promised land. And so Abram and his family have to leave the promised land and go to Egypt because of this famine, which... Doesn't that sound coincidental? I wonder if that's ever going to happen again. Uh, and when they go, and then when they get there, all this stuff happens. There's plagues on Pharaoh, and and then they give Abram a bunch of stuff, and he goes back richer than he was before. So again, uh, not coincidental, something that's going to happen in Exodus. But uh, there's foreshadowing there. But on the way in, Abram has this conversation with his wife, Sarai, and, and says basically, like, you're really pretty. And so when we get there, the powerful men in this place are going to want to take you to be with them, to be with you, and to have you as their wife. And in order to do that, they're going to have to kill me. So say that I'm your brother so they won't kill me. And so he does. He, they do that when they get there. And then Pharaoh, king of Egypt, takes her into his house and is going to do what men try to, powerful men would try to do with women back then and today, apparently. And um, as a result, Abraham gets blessed and leaves Egypt with more wealth than he had when he came. So what's the moral of that story? Pimp your wife out so you can get blessed by God? Like, I hope everybody would say, no, that's not the point of the story. So the Bible's not going to allow you with this kind of clean, moralistic approach. Uh, it's not going to allow you to do that. Uh, secondly, the problem with that approach is it leads to to moralism and legalism. It, it has no uh, room for the gospel of God's grace and that, like, listen— being like the good guys and not being like the bad guys is not how you're going to be saved. Number one, you can't do it. And number two, you can't earn your salvation. And so 
the Bible is one story about the redemption that we have in Christ. We are sinners. We have fallen short. He didn't. He took the punishment that we deserve. He's been raised from the dead, and he offers eternal life uh, and the power of the resurrection to us if we will repent and believe. Uh, now, we'll talk in future episodes about what, how holy living fits into that, but approaching with this moralistic approach of uh, you know, behavior, be like the good guys, don't be like the bad guys, be like the good girls, don't be like the, the bad girls. The Bible doesn't let you do that, and if you do that, people are going to be marching into hell trying to be brave, trying to pray more, trying to be nice to their mother-in-law, but they're not going to be redeemed in Jesus. Has there ever been a time you've heard a sermon that would be faithful to biblical truths, but it wasn't a Christian sermon? Yeah, I, I think I, I, there's all kinds of times that, that I've um, uh, encountered and, that. And by that, I probably mean like ironic times. So, so yes, there's probably been times we've heard somebody preach a sermon and yeah, there was nothing about Jesus in there. But I'm saying something that would be kind of strange to, to the people that, that are listening to us now. Yeah, so when, um, when I was first pastoring in the Nashville area, one of the first things I did was take the folks from my church uh, to be part of a um, uh, worship gathering with a, with a neighboring congregation. And, um, and so we went to see this neighboring um, congregation to worship with them, be part of their worship service. And so we come in, sit in the back, and they're going through songs and scripture readings and prayers. And then, uh, and then uh, after that, the the preacher got up to preach, and it was a topical sermon on lying. And um, I know, you know, we're not supposed to do topical sermons; we're expositors, but we can give them a pass. Okay, it's okay to do occasional topical sermons. And it was a very good sermon online. It wasn't a Southern Baptist congregation, uh, but it was it was just a, a, a sermon online. That was very helpful. Uh, that if you had heard in any evangelical church, um, it would have been a similar sermon. And so he's he's reading verses from the Old Testament. He's reading verses from the Gospel on deception. He's explaining them. He's diagnosing the root cause of why we lie. He's giving us strategies for being truth tellers. It was a very helpful sermon. Again, one I could have heard in any um, gathering. The problem was that. I wasn't at a church. I was at a mosque with my people, and the preacher wasn't uh, a Christian preacher. It was an imam. And he also, yes, sprinkled in some verses from the Quran um, as we were trying to, to engage our neighbors with the gospel. We were there. But the sermon, the thing that struck me was the sermon sounded like any other evangelical sermon online from Proverbs mm-hmm. uh, or from any any place in the Bible. And so I just came away from that with the conviction that if you don't preach Christ from the Old Testament, if you don't preach Christ in every sermon, uh, then you're you're not a Christian preacher. Um, you you're acting just like an imam, or you're acting just like a Jewish rabbi. If you don't interpret and preach Christ uh, from the text in every sermon that you're doing, uh, you're not a Christian. You're a Christian preacher. And if you're a, a believer, a follower of Christ, this is the way you need to read the Bible. So again, it, it doesn't matter, really, it doesn't matter much at all what we think about how we should read the Bible if the Bible is not telling us how to do this, right? So we, we have to be directed by the scriptures on this. So how do you defend this sort of hermeneutic, you know, this sort of preaching, this sort of reading of the Bible that would say every, like, again, for the purpose of what we're trying to do, we want people to see Christ in all the scriptures. Yeah, I think there's, there's a couple of um, biblical reasons, both in terms of uh, hermeneutics, and then in, in terms of what we're trying to produce in our people. And so the first would be that if we let the the way the Bible uses the Bible, then then uh, a, a biblically-based hermeneutic or a biblically-based interpretation 
method, then the New Testament's use of the Old Testament demands a Christ-centered interpretation and a Christ-centered proclamation, okay? And so this is the way the New Testament, this is the way Jesus and the apostles, Peter and, and Paul, uh, read the Old Testament. Um, you know, this is um, the way that Stephen, for example, uh, uh, spoke before the, the council there in Acts uh, 6, 7, and 8. Which we know there'll be objections to this, what we're saying as far as, well, I mean, they're, they're apostles, you know, they're, they're this, they're that. And we'll address that in another episode, but yeah, continue to go. Yeah, but it, it, it is, um, in terms of our doctrine of inspiration, we should say, hey, the apostles, they approach the Old Testament rightly, and we want to be like them as best as we can. And so it drives me nuts when I, I study like Stephen's sermon, and there'll be commentators, evangelical conservative commentators who would say, well, you know, if we work really hard and, and show some careful, uh, you know, exegesis here, we can show that Stephen's actually handling the Old Testament rightly. <laughs> and I'm like, why is that even a question? Like, it, we shouldn't be challenging and, and defending Stephen's hermeneutic. We should be using it and, and sitting underneath of it. Um, and so, but this is the way that the, the apostles, the way the New Testament reads the Old Testament. So there, there's classic text for this, Luke 24, Jesus with the disciples on the road to Emmaus points to the, the, the Old Testament and the three divisions of the Old Testament. He does this with the, the, the disciples on the road to Emmaus. Then with the disciples in the upper room later in, in Luke 24, he says Moses, uh, the prophets, and the Psalms, which is a threefold division of the Old Testament, was, was the Torah, the, which is Moses. You have the, the prophets, which is the history books and the, the writing prophets, and then the, the, the poetic books. We call the writings what Jesus refers to as the Psalms. Uh, there. And he's saying, look, that whole thing is about me. And it's about, it's not just about me, it's about the suffering of the Messiah, and then his exaltation, and that repentance and forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name in all nations beginning in Jerusalem. Um, and so that's, that's what the old, that's what the central message of the Old Testament is about, according to Jesus, on the road to Emmaus. And then the apostles are fleshing that out, I think, as they write the rest of the New Testament under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. In John chapter 5, uh, Jesus says, you have, uh, Moses was speaking about me, okay? And he doesn't say Moses was speaking about things that were ultimately fulfilled in me. He says, Moses is talking about me. That's what he's, he's talking about, the Messiah, right? And so if it's Luke 24, it's the Bible's own categories. He's pointing to that, to the, the categories that first century Jews would have recognized and understood about the totality of the Old Testament. He's saying, that's about me. John 5, he's saying, Jesus, um, that's about me, right? You have, um, Matthew 23, where he's, he's referencing from Abel, so Genesis, to Zechariah, end of the canon in 2 Chronicles, okay, so from the beginning of the end to, of, the, of the Hebrew Bible, all that's about me. John 12, uh, as we've talked about before, Isaiah 6, when, he, when Isaiah is in the temple, in the holy place, sees the glory of God, he, he says, he's looking at me, he's seeing my glory, uh, right? When you get to Acts, for example, the apostles are constantly making the case throughout the book. Uh, from the Old Testament that Jesus is the long-awaited Messiah, the long-awaited Savior. So Pentecost, Peter says he's the fulfillment of Psalm 16 and Psalm 110. Acts 3, uh, he's the fulfillment of Deuteronomy 18, the final prophet. Acts 7, uh, Stephen gives this pattern in, in Joseph and Moses of God raising up a Savior for the Jews, him being rejected, the Gentiles accepting him, and then him, and then he comes back and saves the Jews. Which, and then Paul applies that to Jesus in Romans 11. That ultimately we're in the time of the Gentiles in some way right now, where it's mainly Gentiles coming to faith. 
but in the future, the Jews are going to be grafted back in, right? Yeah, and we want to dive into that one more because we've I've actually heard even Old Testament professors say to me and also to you, you can't use Joseph because the New Testament authors did not use Joseph as a type. And again, we're going to address some of the objections, but we'll dive more deeply into Acts 7 and some other places on, on Joseph in particular. Uh, Acts 8, right, when Philip's with the Ethiopian eunuch, Jesus is the fulfillment of the suffering servant of Isaiah 53. Acts 13, Paul's at Pisidian Antioch. He's the fulfillment, fulfillment of the Davidic promises. Acts 15, the Jerusalem Council. James says he's the fulfillment of Amos 9 and the inclusion of the Gentiles. Acts 17, Paul's method is being, his missionary method is being described that he would go into the synagogues and reason with them from the scriptures, from the Old Testament that Jesus was the Messiah. He does the same thing before Agrippa in Acts 26. He does the same thing under house arrest in Acts 20, 28. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, all the promises of God are yes and amen in Jesus, which is an amazing statement. So all of them have come to fruition, or yes, have already not yet fulfillment in Christ. 2 Timothy 3.14 and 15, that great text on the inspiration of Scripture, uh, right before it talks about inspiration, says that Paul says to Timothy, from childhood you've known the holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And so what that means is, What's the point of Genesis? To make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And it's the same intention of Leviticus, make you wise for salvation through faith in Jesus Christ. And Esther and Proverbs and Song of Solomon and Chronicles, they're intended to save you through faith in Jesus Christ. And there's, I mean, there's tons more verses we go through, like the entire book of Hebrews, right. all these yeah. shadows of they he's find their fulfillment. Joshua, yeah. he's yeah. given you real rest. He's in the order of Melchizedek. Better he's sacrifice. Better than Moses, yeah. better sacrifice. Um, all of this uh, is uh, the entire New Testament showing us how uh, the Old Testament is about Jesus. So, yeah. The, so again, you're basing at least first, first uh, answer to this is New Testament use of this demands that we do this. So the way the apostles and the writers are doing this. So what are some other things you would say as far as biblically, this is how you would defend it? Yeah, I would say that um, this is kind of a corollary to that first one, but, but you can't understand the Old Testament, Old Testament rightly without reading it through a New Testament lens, okay? Uh, or at least without Jesus opening your eyes to do that, right? So Luke 24 is a pretty crushing text, right? The, these disciples, Jesus has been crucified. There's some rumors that it's the women said that he's been raised from the dead, but I mean, that you know, could those women just be, you know, just be women talking or whatever. The, the, the disciples aren't exactly sure what to do with that. And so Jesus is talking to these two disciples on the road to Emmaus, and they're crushed. They're like, we thought he was the one who was going to redeem Israel, and, and, and you know, it's just everything's been ruined. Uh, and Jesus doesn't put his arm around them and like pat them on the back and say, there, there, you know, it's okay. It's me. Guys, come on. It's me. Everything's okay. He rebukes them, oh foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He rebukes them for not seeing it. So it's, it's there, but in some ways until Christ uh, comes and the climax comes, it, it was very difficult uh, for people to see it. And so we have a good friend, a, a prominent pastor, one of a great preachers, uh, who's former president of the Southern Baptist Convention, who knew that I was, you know, really pumped about Christ-centered interpretation. And he's preaching through judges, and so he's like, John. He texted me. He's like, John, where's, where's Jesus in the Gideon story? And my my reply in text message to him was, Well, he's. It's not like where's Waldo. He's not hiding behind the elephant, and you've got to try to find him. That's who Judges is about. Judges is about uh, Jesus and that in Judges chapter 2 tells us that what the whole book is about is how when Israel goes into idolatry and is given into the hand of their enemy, he raises up a Savior who's going to rescue them. Now, they're imperfect Saviors and they 
they point forward to a greater Savior, but they're all saviors that are being anointed by the Spirit to rescue God's people from their enemies. And so that points to Jesus. And then you can get into more of the details of, of the fleece being endued with, with the dew. And, and so you've got the power of the Spirit uh, <laughs> being poured out on the Lamb of God, so to speak, this imagery that's being used of Gideon. Uh, but mainly, we just see that this is these little saviors who point to the big Savior. And so Jesus says this is more than an intellectual problem. It's a spiritual problem, uh, and that only until our eyes are opened in conversion in some ways are we going to be able to see this. Only when we see Jesus in his glory are we going to be able to see this. Right, and you're going to talk about more of that in just a second. Um, so what? So the question of this, though, you know, what am I missing if I don't do this? I mean, what's the problem? I mean, I'm teaching the Bible. I'm faithful. Even we'll talk about this more. I'm I'm doing historical grammatical. I'm telling you what's in the text. What what, what do my people miss if I don't do this? Yeah, I'd say it's, there's it's funny because somebody asked me that one time. I was on a, a mission trip in Southeast Asia and um, and was going around training preachers. And I was with another preacher, a great faithful brother. But just every car ride that we had to wherever we we're gonna, he's just pushing back on me. No, I don't see it. I don't see what you're what you're arguing. And so for three days, we had a, a healthy, brotherly discussion about this. And then he finally just, he said, well, John, what am I missing if I don't do this with my people? And my, my answer would be, is Luke 24, is, is the disciples, as they're reporting, uh, they say, Did, did not our hearts burn within us uh, as, he, as he opened the scriptures on the road uh, to us? And so that's, that's what I want. And that's what Paul is getting at in 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, right? That ultimately why we're preaching. And we're going to talk a lot more about application. So yes. I mean, that's one of the kind of the objections to this. But I think just in the general of like why this is important, why we do this, you know, hit, hit that. I mean, again, 2 Corinthians 3 and 4, he's, he hits this hard. Yeah, I'd say um, what is the goal of preaching ultimately is we want the change, life change. We want people's lives to be changed. And Paul says at the end of 2 Corinthians 3, that the way transformation takes place is beholding the glory of God. Uh, we are transformed from one degree of glory into another. And then a few verses later in 2 Corinthians 4, he says that the way you behold the glory of God is in the face of Jesus Christ. And so preaching Christ in our sermons enables people to see the glory of God and therefore be transformed. Yeah. So, I mean, I'll just add a couple of things and then would love your comments on what I say. But, you know, we've, we've grown up listening to, so again, I think for the most part, when we started at least learning this, we're, we're hearing it in Presbyterian circles and, and other circles. And, but then we realized that like some of our heroes did this and they, and we heard some of these sermons growing up. And I've, I mean, I remember hearing Jerry Vines, I remember hearing, hearing guys like R.G. Lee, and they're just, they're going through and showing so many themes that find that they kind of find their fulfillment in Christ. And, and the whole point of that seems to be like, again, I think what R.G. Lee was saying is, is if you take Jesus out of this, like we, like everything collapses. So it, why is this important? Because again, Without Jesus, we're just another, it seems to me to be just another good religion that tells you how to live well, that doesn't save you. And so, like, again, you cannot take him out without basically losing the whole, the whole thing collapses if, if he's taken out. And so you know, maybe speak to some of that. Yeah, I mean, absolutely. One is that, I mean, the, the, the whole thing we want as creatures and as cr Christians is to know God. And the only way that we can know him is he's been revealed in Jesus Christ, um, who, who is the word made flesh. And so... Uh, we want to know Him. We want to know Him better. And so without Him, there's no way to know God and to commune with God. And then, yeah, I mean, we've learned this from our hearers. I remember the, the great sermon that Jerry Vines preached, a Baptist in his Bible, where he's doing that, that poem, right? He, he is the Rose of Sharon. He is the Lily Fair. Wherever I open my Bible, the Lord of the book is there. Uh, and then he's doing that. Adrian Rogers, W.A. Criswell, they're preaching these sermons from the Old Testament and showing you how Joseph's bones and, and Naaman's leprosy 
how this points to Christ, and it it, it opens your eyes to see uh, just the glory and the beauty of Christ, and that's transforming. Mm. So again, we hope you guys will interact with this. We'd love to hear, you know, thoughts. Again, even objections. We want we want to be able to sharpen ourselves as we have these conversations. In the next uh, in the next episode, we will actually look at some of the objections that that are kind of you know common. And so we'll look at uh, shouldn't we just let the Old Testament stand on its own and shouldn't it be its own document? And so we'll we'll talk some about that. So again, thanks for listening to the podcast and and please uh, interact with it as best you can. And we'd love to hear from you. Thank you for listening to the Christ Center and Clear podcast. If you have questions, topics, or texts that you'd like us to consider for future podcasts, please contact us at podcast at ChristCenteredAndClear.com. And please visit us at ChristCenteredAndClear.com for more resources that will help you see and share Jesus from all the scriptures.